1 John chapter 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we, ha- if, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm writing you a new command. I'm, ri- I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Amen. 1 John chapter 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 
Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love not with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever listens to God, sorry, whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not lo love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. 
And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves, sorry, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Again, for 1 John chapter 5, just before Brett gets up here. Bear with me. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love, this is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not a burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is that, overco- who is that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the, is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testified, the Spirit, the water and the blood, and, the, and three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Everyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin and does not lead, that does not lead to death, we should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. 
We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Uh, I'm going to run an ad. Uh, There's an advertising campaign by uh, Victoria Tourism a few months ago. You might have seen the ad, you might not, but here it is if you haven't seen it. Uh, and I'll, yeah, we'll have a look at that. Interesting ad, isn't it? Have you seen it? No, few people have. It, uh, a $7.3 million advertising campaign that maybe failed amongst people here, but anyway. Um, that's Victor uh, Tourism Victoria's problem, I guess. Uh, I, um, I was struck by the ad when I first saw it because I thought it was a very clever ad. It's very arty, it's got uh, nice music, but it's kind of... it stirred up a few things for me. Um, the aim of the ad is to raise awareness of Dalesford, which is a town down in Victoria, uh, as the natural mineral springs capital of Australia. Uh, according to Tourism Victoria, they said, the television adver advertisement depicts Dalesford as a village perched on the edge of decadence and purity. Decadence and purity. And I think they've done that really well, because they've picked up some contrasting imagery in the ad, haven't they? By day, a girl, innocent, meanders through the countryside, carrying her shoes, lovely. By night, it's dark, she's wearing a black dress, it's a woman who's walking, same person, of course, but now she's a woman, eating, drinking, fulfilling every desire that she might have. And, of course, the point of the ad is that you can live the double life. You can have it both. Uh, go to Dalesford and you can enjoy them both there. I guess um, it, it's a lot of that that drew my attention originally when I saw it, um, because there's a lot of Christian imagery that's there through the ad as well. Did you get a sense of that? Yeah. There's, of course, I mean, at the very obvious, there's the old hymn that's playing, Down to the River to Pray. Um, there's the light and dark, night and day kind of contrasts that are happening. Water, baptism, is she getting baptised at the end? Not really sure, looks like it, it's very symbolic, but lots of arguments over the, the uh, internet about it, oh, that she's not being baptised, who knows. And then, of course, there's the tagline again, which I think triggers some Christian thinking for me as well, lead a double life, it's okay, you can be naughty and nice, in this life they can come together okay. It's all some interesting stuff, isn't it? These are also some of the themes that John picks up in his first letter as well. Uh, as we read it through, did you notice the contrast in the letter? The contrasts of light and dark there as well, weren't there? Life and death, love and hate. It's a very interesting letter to read before. John is stark and blunt with what he says, but of course the implications are very different to the ad, aren't they? The ad invites you, well, maybe even calls you to indulge, 
to enjoy everything, both sides, and it doesn't matter. But the book of John is a reminder that what you do does matter, that what you believe matters, and that how you treat other people matters as well. So we're going to spend some time with this letter over the next few weeks. I hope it'll be an encouraging time. I hope it'll be a challenging time. I hope it'll be interesting as we look at 1 John. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at 1 John under the headings of introducing John, which is today, uh, introducing God, and then introducing life. Now, what do I hope for? I don't know if you ever think about what the person up the front is thinking about, but what I'm hoping for over the next few weeks is I'd like to have a conversation. Uh, That's not just someone up here downloading to you what is right or wrong, but actually us having a bit of a time to dialogue and converse and talk together. That might happen during our talk, that might happen over morning tea, that might happen during the week, but that's one thing that I'd, I'd really love to see happening. I'd also like to stir you to actually spend some more time in one John yourself maybe to read it through again, maybe to talk it through with your children, maybe to talk it through in Bible study groups, I don't know, but to raise some little spark of interest that says, ah, be nice to look at this a little bit more. And I also want to look at Jesus and I want to see how John reveals Jesus to us as well. So that's kind of my goals over the next few weeks as we travel together. And so today, we're going to kick off with introducing John. The outline is there in your bulletins if you like to take notes or follow along. And each week, I'm going to start with the big question and finish with the big challenge, though my outline finishes with the big question again. Does yours too? Yeah, okay. That should be challenged, but it's a question I do finish with, so that kind of works anyway. But the big question is, does the double life matter? Does the double life matter? So point one, or point two, reading the Bible. Well, as I come to uh, looking at this, I thought it'd be good to share some assumptions about the Bible and as we read the Bible as well. Uh, You don't know me that well. Um, Scott and Peter do most of the regular preaching and there are certain assumptions that uh, when people are up the front teaching that they carry through with. And I thought, well, I want to start off, I'm here for three weeks, so I'll start off with sharing some of those assumptions that I have and we can see how that's going to influence what I've got to say. And my assumptions as I start is, firstly, the Bible is one story, the Bible has one focus, and understanding the Bible requires me to think. So the Bible is one story. Now, that's the first thing to realise, isn't it? Over 1,600 years in the making, written in 40 different, across 40 different generations, three different languages, by 40 different authors, in 13 different countries across three different continents. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And despite all that variety that comes together into our scriptures, into our Bible, all of it is, has the same message. All of it is about God's actions in our world. From the garden to the city, this is a book that is all about revealing God's plan to create and then to restore all relationships in our world, to restore all of creation, 
to his original perfect plan. Someone once told me you can actually divide the story of the Bible into three parts. Uh, I I thought this was very clever when I first heard it. Here's, uh, Here's the first part, chapter one of Genesis, where God makes the world and he creates it perfect. The second part, oh, chapter one and two. Chapter three of Genesis, that's part two, where it all goes wrong, goes pear-shaped, as Adam and Eve attempt to take control back themselves. And part three, well, that's the rest of it there. It's the main part of the story. It's God at work bringing all creation back to that perfect beginning, but not just back to the garden, back to something even better, from the garden to the city. It's like a jigsaw puzzle where the significance of every little piece of the Bible lies in recognising how it fits into the bigger picture of the Bible. So it's crucial, if we're going to understand what we're reading, we need to know where we are in the scriptures and what that means. Of course, that's more significant when we're in the Old Testament, but no less significant, I believe, when we're in the New Testament as well, and particularly as we come to 1 John. Well, the Bible is one story. The Bible also has one focus, a focus that puts every other part of it into perspective. And of course, no surprises, for the Bible, the focus is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus and what he did, lived, died and came back to life with. I don't mean that every verse of the Bible contains Jesus or we can sort of impose something there. But what I mean is that every part of the Bible finds its focus, finds its fulfilment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, To put it another way, it means that everything that we read will shape the gospel and the gospel will shape everything we read. It's kind of like we're on this train line and we're on our journey, we know where we're going to, and every part of the journey, as we look outside, as we look around the train, as we talk to other people, everything on that journey reminds us that that is the end of the journey, that that is where we're going, that is the destination. And, of course, that's the Bible too. Every part of the Bible points to the destination, the fulfilment, the final destination, which is found in Christ, in Jesus We can see that, of course, uh, when uh, we listen to Jesus himself. Remember that great story at the end of Luke, uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Starts off a dreadful story. uh, They've they've been friends, they've followed Jesus, they've listened to Jesus, and then Jesus has been killed. And they go home. They go, it's all over. This is dreadful. We thought there was something great going to happen here and nothing's happened. He's dead. What do we do? And as they're walking down that road, walking home, and you can imagine the picture, can't you? A a third traveller comes up beside them. And this traveller says, uh, what's wrong? What are you you doing? What are you worrying about? What's upsetting you? And they tell him what's happened, like he's he's an idiot. He, He doesn't know. How could you not know? And gradually he actually tells them the story of the scriptures. He points to... The scriptures and shows how parts of the scriptures... Could you imagine sitting in with that Bible study? We, of course, know the person was Jesus, wasn't he? But he points to every part of the scriptures and how it was fulfilled in Christ. 
And there at the end of the journey, as Jesus reveals himself to those two disciples, they talk to one another about how their hearts burned to get, burned inside. Not because they saw Jesus and he was alive, because that was kind of overcome by something else. The fact that they saw Jesus revealed in the scriptures, the fact that they saw everything being fulfilled then and there, as Jesus shared with them the whole point of the scriptures. Isn't that amazing? But that's the point I want to remind us about today. The Bible has one focus, one clear destination. It's all about Jesus. And then finally, well, understanding the Bible requires us to think. Reading the Bible is like reading anything else. Uh, It requires skill to understand, some work to nut it through, to wrestle with it to understand it so that we can actually work out where is Jesus? How are we seeing this point to Jesus? For John, it's a bit easier, isn't it? He walked and talked with Jesus. Uh, So it comes out. Jesus' name is in 1 John. In some senses, it's a lot simpler for us. We're not in the Old Testament. We don't have to do a lot of that hard work. But in another sense, we do. Because it's like that train journey. We haven't just arrived at the destination we've had a whole journey that we've gone through as well and so there will be other parts of the scriptures that come and shine a light on this as well in helping us to understand Jesus as well so I think we've got a wonderful opportunity as we come to look at 1 John to talk together maybe to have some questions later on uh, to talk over morning tea to talk during the week Uh, I hope it'll be a wonderful time as we think about what this letter is about and how it shows who Jesus is. Okay, well, on to the uh, next point there. That's reading the Bible, reading the New Testament. The first thing about the New Testament, of course, is we've got to recognise when it, where it was, what the culture is, uh, and that is, of course, way back in the first century, 2,000 years ago, where the ru- world was ruled by Rome, from England to Africa, from Syria to Spain, One in every four people on the planet who lived and died did so within the great Roman Empire. This empire mixed Greek sophistication. They had all the fascinating learning and languages and philosophies of the Greek Empire that had come before, and yet they merged that with incredible brutality and terror and exercise of force. Imagine the world that it would have been like to live in. The movie Gladiator probably picks it up a little bit. Uh, I get that sense of if you're in the top class, you had life good. But if you're a slave or struggling, life was tough and probably short. Given all that, the empire was an enormous achievement, a huge marketplace in which citizens could travel and trade far and wide, doing so under the safety of the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome a vast multicultural melting pot of people and statuses and power all being worked out in different ways. Then, of course, we come to the author of our letter, John himself. John's, of course, we know, we probably are aware John also wrote the Gospel of John or the biography of Jesus' life called John and wrote the last book of the Bible as well, the book of Revelation. John was one of the first disciples to hang out with Jesus, uh, the brother of James, James and John, sons of Zebedee, or sons of thunder. 
wonder what that means. They're probably a bit fiery in temperament, I guess. Fisherman by trade. And if you've read John, there's a reference there quite, quite uh, regularly to the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is probably John as the author, uh, recognising a very close, special relationship that Jesus had with his friend John. In Acts 12, we read about a time of persecution in the church in Jerusalem um, with Herod Agrippa. And it seems like uh, the disciples took that opportunity to leave. It was time to get out of there. And John, this is not in the scriptures, we don't know this for sure, but it seems likely, historically, that John took that opportunity as well and left Jerusalem. If you remember, when Jesus was on the cross, he looked down and saw his mother, saw his friend, and he said to John, this is your mother, telling him to take responsibility for Mary. And it seems likely then that John left with Mary and looked after her as well. And it seems that they probably moved into the area of Ephesus, uh, area of Asia Minor. Now, this isn't a great map for you to see a lot of detail, of course, but you can get the sense. You can see Italy and Greece and the, the um, Jerusalem and that there. Now, Ephesus, of course, is up in that area of uh, Spain, I think, modern-day Spain. And the letter of, uh, that John writes to Revelation, uh, he writes that to the seven churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And it seems likely that John is somehow in that region, perhaps living in Ephesus. I believe if you go and visit Ephesus uh, today, that you can visit the house where John and Mary lived. I don't know how <laughs> true that is now, but um, it's interesting to, to think that they've got a place where they've identified that. So that's a bit of the geography uh, and where John has moved to. Now, it's probably not surprising, John, since John wrote the biography, his biography of Jesus, and he's also written this letter, you'd expect some links between the two, wouldn't you? Some themes that are picked up. And that's not surprising. In fact, we do see that. If you've got a little bit of time this week, you might like to read some of John, or even over the coming weeks, read some of John and 1 John together and get a feel for how John has brought these two books together and cross-fed the themes. Um, if you want a shortcut, just read the introduction to John's biography, the first 18 verses of chapter 1. We see John there laying down how Jesus is fully God, fully man. If you read the introduction to 1 John, of course, we get that sense there as well. John is saying, I, I'm a witness. I saw it. I heard it. I touched. Some links there. John 15 to 17 as well has some other great themes that you will recognise as we read our way through 1 John as well. Okay, and finally we've got the Antichrists. These Antichrists really are all through 1 John. We've got these references. Who are they? Is this uh, some apocalyptic uh, vision of stuff to come? Are we expecting Antichrists? What, you know, there's, a, there's a fascination when we think of uh, the word Antichrist. But John tells us in uh, verse 18, chapter 2, that there are Antichrists. Verse 22, that they're liars. Verse 1 of chapter 4, that they're false prophets. So we start to get a bit of a sense. It's not capital A, the Antichrist, but there are people around there who he's calling Antichrists. Now, I guess it makes it 
it's, it becomes a little bit clearer that there, obviously there's some healthy, rigorous, intense debates that are occurring in the church at this time. Uh, John is making it very clear that there are some people that are not to be listened to and are to be opposed. So what's going on here? Uh, from what we can, as we read 1 John and pick up some clues, and there's lots of people who have got lots of opinions about what sort of groups uh, these might have been, but if we read the letter and start to pick out some of the clues, we, can, we get a sense that there is some kind of idea going around that there is a spirit world and the physical world and they're two places and they don't mix together. In fact, the spirit world is the perfect place. It's, it's uh, the ideal and the, the physical is where we live and we know it's not ideal and the two places don't mix together. And it seems like that there are some teachers there that are suggesting that based on this un understanding of the spiritual and the physical, to say that Jesus, the spiritual, the perfect, the son of God, could come to earth and take on the flesh of a man, well, what, what are you talking about? That, that can't happen. And so we see that John picks up on these themes quite a bit. Now, this, this uh, philosophy, I guess, is a philosophy of dualism. It's been around a long time. People like Plato and Socrates kind of popularised it in, in their day, and so it's no surprise that it would come through into John's day as well. It's, the idea of dualism, I guess, is picked up in that ad that we watched at the beginning as well, the, this double life that can be led, the, this naughty and nice kind of feeling. Uh, it, it's the idea that there is something pure and spiritual above that we can grasp at, we, we want, but there's also something fleshly and naughty and, and earthy and fleshly with where we live. It's interesting, and we can talk about this some more uh, later. Actually, there's a lovely picture there uh, that gives you that sort of sense of the spiritual and the physical, or what we might in Christian circles, interestingly, interestingly talk about the sacred and the secular. Because I actually think dualism is around still today. And that actually makes 1 John a very significant letter for us to be thinking about as well. And thinking about whether this dualism is an issue today. Is that advertising and, and a bit of an insight into how dualism is impacting our society? What do we think about it? Actually, I might... Um, pause for a moment and uh, does anyone want to make a comment on that or ask a question? Does it kind of make sense? The diagram's confusing. The, um, I guess it's just talking about that the spirit world is kind of the perfect world. So that's the idea of 100%. Uh, it's where... Oh, let me, there's another illustration actually that I find more helpful, so let me talk about that. Um, making uh, sandcastles at the beach, because uh, I do that with my boys. But it's kind of like you go along, you pour your sand into the bucket, you turn it upside down, you make your castle. We all know how to make sandcastles. You lift it off and you kind of hope, well I hope, that it's not going to collapse out the bottom or you know, enough of it's going to hold together. Well, on this model, the bucket is the spiritual, is the perfect, is the pure, it's the castle. The, the uh, sand castle is a model. It's a bit crumbly, it's not perfect, it's not the best. And so we've got these two uh, sides to life 
Um, now, because we live in the world, we know the world a bit crappy at times. It's not the most perfect. So that's the sandcastle. But we want to be where the world is perfect, so we want to get to where the bucket is. And that's what this, this um, dualism is all about. It's saying, well, there are special ways that you can get to that spiritual world. And Jesus is not it, because somehow he's gone through this middle, but you actually can't go through the middle. We all want to get there, but we can't physically get there in this life. Does that make sense? Okay. Rebecca. That's right. And lots of people want to tell us how to get there. Um, and we want, to, we want to climb that ladder because we can't get there by just staying where we are because they're two realms. Okay, I'll keep going. We can talk about that some more later once it sort of soaks in a little bit as well. Okay, final point there, reading 1 John. It's probably worth us uh, actually having a bit of a look at 1 John since that's what I'm supposed to be doing uh, today and over the next few weeks. Well, first of all, uh, as we look at 1 John here, we find out it's quite an unusual letter. Uh, it's, it's unusual in that it doesn't start with an author. We don't, don't know who it's written to. We're not told who it's written by. We're not told um, the, the area that it's being sent to. Uh, there's no address, no special destination. If you've read it, there's no real clear structure. It's, it's hard to, to grapple with. I, when I uh, give talks, I like to go through and pull out first point, second point, third point and work out the verses and, and the structure flows out. It doesn't work with 1 John. It's a bit all over the place. Um, things are mentioned in different places. Some people divide it in half. There's two statements there uh, that uh, God is light, God is love. Chapter 1, verse 5, God is light. Chapter, six, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, God is love. Some people divide it in half based around that. Others divide it into three parts based on tests, tests of orthodoxy, uh, tests of obedience, love and truth. So if you don't pass these tests, you're in trouble, perhaps. Some see it as a spiral uh, that develops these three themes constantly, theme of obedience, love and truth. When we come to the end, I, I don't know if you caught this uh, as Rebecca finished it, but it just finishes. It doesn't seem to wrap up. It doesn't have a conclusion. John doesn't say, say good day to my mates here. He, doesn't, he just says, you know, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It's a book of contrasts. We've mentioned that as we thought about the ad and the links between the ad and this book. Light and dark, life and death, truth and lies, children of God, children of the devil. Love, hate. It's a book that forces us to think, to question what is life with Christ actually all about. It forces us to think that uh, Jesus is not a label that we can wear or a brand to consume or a club to be part of. It forces us to think that there is life to be lived with Jesus. Life lived in the light Life associated with purity and truth and fullness. And that there is also death to be lived. Death to be lived without Jesus. Death lived out in darkness and futility. Associated with self-indulgence, false teaching, emptiness. So what are we to make of it? It's a tricky letter. 
You're probably sitting there going, well, you're meant to tell us what to make of it. Today I'm not really going to do much of that. Today I'm raising questions so that we can start our conversation together. But here's a few clues as we think about it. John's talked about Jesus in his biography, in the Gospel, uh, and he writes again. So we can kind of take, make some assumptions there. Something has happened. He, he's written a, a, the story of Jesus to help people understand the truth of that story, but now he's had to write again. So something's gone wrong in between the writing of his Gospel and where we are now. The introduction sets us up to know uh, a little bit more about what this is, this is all about. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes and which we looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. He's bringing eyewitness account. He's bringing his personal experience and understanding of the word of life. Key verse is uh, verse th- chapter 5, verse 13. John there writes, I write these things to you, who's he writing to? To you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to the believers. And why is he writing? So that you may know that you have eternal life. Whatever is going on in that church with the Antichrists, teaching about dualism, philosophies, whole range of stuff, what you think about Jesus, John wants to remind them, this is what you believe in, be encouraged, you have eternal life. The future is sure. And so I I get a bit concerned when people talk about 1 John as being the letter of tests, because I wonder, is that really what John is writing about? Is it about tests? Verse 13, so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you want to know the purpose of John's Gospel, verse 31 of chapter 20. I'm not going to tell you now. Chapter 20, verse 31. And you can see the difference between John, uh, John's biography and John's letter, first letter. And what about this conclusion? Keep yourselves from idols. Well, what's an idol? Something that replaces God. So it probably kind of makes a bit of sense then. So John is saying at the end of his letter, keep away from God substitutes. Hang on to Jesus. Remember the truth of what you knew in the beginning. That which you heard from the beginning is still true. Hold on to that. Well, as we finish, the big challenge to finish with, or the big question to come back to, I guess, Firstly, are you convinced of the big picture of the Bible with all of it being focused on Jesus? Does that actually matter as we come to look at 1 John? Does the double life matter? Have I made too much of the ad for Dalesford? Have I made too much of the background as we come to 1 John? And what do you reckon 1 John is about? What are some of the themes? What does John want us to take away? Questions and conversation. Why don't we uh, pray to finish? And I think the musos will lead us in our next song. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your scriptures that you give us, not just words that we can read, 
but your word who walked in flesh amongst us. Thank you that we can know Jesus. Thank you that we can be with Jesus. Thank you that we can be one with him. And Father, help us this week as we wrestle with 1 John, as we wrestle with what John is saying, may we become firmly uh, of the view that we too can have faith and a faith that will give us eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.